know what you're listening to. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Snowman in the Morning podcast. Did you not get the memo? Insanity ensues. Can't wait. So, I need an answer to a question. And the question is, what is wrong with the Houston Texans? My Monday morning QB, Ryan Dunn, joins me as we get into off-season business. And what in the world's going on in Houston, my friend? Talk to me. Well, Stillman, I honestly can't say I know. Um, it just seems like a dysfunctional organization. I think when you have Deshaun Watson, your star quarterback, who's already kind of led the way of showing the dysfunction at this point, like Houston's hire a new coach, people have resigned within you know the organization, and he still doesn't want to be there. And when that's starting to happen, it's kind of showing like that, that the bridge between Deshaun Watson and Houston Texans is broken. Now you add probably the face of the Houston Texans for years in J.J. Watt, gone. Like, he doesn't want to be there anymore. And he released him. He said it was a mutual agreement. He went to Houston, went to ownership and everything and said, I want to be released. Like, they all know this is not a winning organization. They've, they've been close. You know, they made the playoffs. They've had situations where they – you know, just some kind of get to the championship game. It just doesn't work out. I get that. But there's a function in this organization. And they, I don't know if they don't agree with the coach that they hired. I don't know if they don't, if they don't agree with. Like, I, think, I think the trigger point personally was last offseason when Bill O'Brien, and I get he's not there anymore, but when he traded away DeAndre Hopkins for a second-round pick mm-hmm. and a David Johnson that's aging – and a fifth round pick. When that trade happened, I think that really threw Deshaun Watson off. He's like, I need help, and you got rid of my best weapon. And when you saw Deshaun wanted to leave, and DeAndre gone, now JJ Watt is going to be gone. Uh, is gone. There's just the team. I don't know if they if they but they need to find their identity. I don't know what it is, but there's so many problems with the team that I just don't know where to start. So why did they grant the wish of J.J. Watt, but they won't grant the wish of Deshaun Watson? I think because they know that Deshaun has is young. J.J., unfortunately, the past few seasons has had injury issues. You know, he's he has done so much for that team, for that city. He's given back for you know, the hurricane, uh, hurricane relief funds for the you know, helping the community. JJ has done so much for that team. And I think they know for him to go to the ownership and say, I want to be released. That's a big deal. And I think he's at the point. And I, you know, it's funny. I was talking to people about this the other day. When people get, when you first get drafted in the NFL, you know, you're on your rookie contract. You, then you get, you know, you get good, uh, get, get good money. And then you get your next big extension with the team or you, you know, get a nice big contract somewhere else. But then once you get that, that once that second contract is over, you hit a point of what have I done? Have I even been good? Have I won anything? Like what have I done? And I think JJ is at the point of I haven't won anything. And I think he just knows 
he's not going to win in Houston. I think he will find – personally, I think he needs to go to a team that will solely use him as a third-down pass rusher. I think what's happened with J.J., why they let him go, is he's at the point of he's done so much for the team and he's coming to us saying, you can be released, that's fine. I think Deshaun's contract as well is a big hit. I don't, that's why I don't think they'll release him. I know for Houston – they will get a lot more when it comes to a trade piece compared to what they would get for J.J. Watt anyways. And they would just do, you know, J.J., if you want to go pick a new team, hey, man, do what you got to do. Deshaun, we know you're our future quarterback. We are willing to do whatever it takes to keep you, and I just don't think they're going to be able to do anything at this point. So what is the next landing spot for J.J. Watt in the twilight of his career? Because he's a 10-year veteran. He spent all 10 seasons in Houston. You mentioned what he's done off the field. On it, he's got some playoff appearances, yes, but where is the conference championship game? Where is the Super Bowl? Where does he land next? And which team or teams will emerge in competition for J.J. Watt's services? I think when you look at the teams around the league, I think he wants to – I mean, I, I, he can be open to anybody. I think he'll personally – I think he'll stay in the AFC. I think he's more familiar with that conference, obviously. I think teams that you could look into, it could be a team like Buffalo. I think they would really love his services. A team like Pittsburgh, we already know his, his brothers are on that team. I'm sure he would like to play with his brothers. I don't see why that would be a problem playing with his brothers. Uh, Cleveland could be a good team. Tennessee, Indianapolis, Kansas City, even as well, if they want to bring his services in, or even the Chargers. There's a lot of teams that person. I think in the I think the AFC is the one that really sticks out to me. Um, NFC, there's probably a few teams you can maybe say you can probably say uh, maybe the Rams, maybe Seattle brings him in. Who knows? I that's a whole story in itself. But I think mainly there's more options in the AFC. And I think those teams I named off earlier are going to be great fits because those teams are built to prop to win now. Like, and it's funny to say Cleveland, but Cleveland adding him alongside Miles Garrett, that'd be just scary to face as a team. And I think when you look at those options, like the Colts would be a great fit. Tennessee, I go, I get those are division rivals, but. He want, I think at this point he wants to win, and I think those teams are set up for him to win going forward. How about a wildcard team like uh, San Francisco? Would he fit with the 49ers? He could, and that is a team that, you know, he could fit with them as well. I, I don't know if, um, you know, Shanahan will, will bring him in. I know John Lynch probably would like him on that team, so that could be a good fit for San Francisco as well. Uh, I think at the end of the day, I know San Francisco is going to be a uh, playoff contender next year for sure. Um, I just think you look at all those teams I named, and the San Francisco, again, is when they're healthy, they're winners. They're proven winners when everybody's there for San Francisco 49ers. So, yeah, San Francisco could be another option for him as well. Yeah, but you mentioned John, you mentioned John Lynch. This is a toss-up for John Lynch because he has the best young defensive end right now in Nick Bosa. Putting J.J. Watt opposite him on certain downs would prove beneficial for San Francisco to get a, a, a better pass rush. Mm -hmm. But I also agree with what you said about 
The teams that you mentioned in the AFC, Buffalo, Kansas City, Indianapolis, built to win now. Hell, Kansas City just went to the last two Super Bowls. Uh, the Indianapolis Colts lost to the Buffalo Bills in, in, the, in the wild card round. Buffalo got to the AFC championship game. So there's a better choice for him in the AFC to take a chance now let's go let, let's let's hit a let's hit a part of you that is is big not just for you but for me what will he bring or wh what will he bring should the indianapolis colts put their hat in the ring and go after him a pass rusher that's ready to go now um you know when you look at the one of the needs that the colts have they are for the coming you know the upcoming draft they are wanting a edge rusher and I think if you get somebody like a J.J. Watt, who is a massive specialist on pass rushing on third down, not only would he be beneficial to the players that are there now, but like as far as the veterans, he'd be beneficial to some younger guys, too, to learn from. I think and that's what you would get from any team. But for the Colts specifically, it would just be a huge piece that defense is already great. I mean, you look at that front. Justin Schuchat and DeForest Buckner, and then you add J.J. Watt to a pass rush that the Colts have, and that defense with Darius Leonard and so many other guys in that defense that's ready to win now, one of the top defenses in the game. So J.J. would just be a phenomenal piece, and you know when he'd play against Houston or any division rival, you already know he's going to give more than his all when it comes to those games. And oh, yeah. Again, the last thing is just keeping him, keeping him fresh. What the problem for him has been is injuries and maybe a little too much usage. If you solely have him in there for a pass rusher on pass situations and he's just rested, ready to go, and ready to go right in there, I think that's something that would benefit him towards his, you know, later half of his career at this point. I we talked about this before, but it's very prevalent right now, and that is Deshaun Watson. He is going to exit Houston. I think everybody sees that. I know I've asked this before, but, I'll, but I will ask again. If there is a team that is in desperate need of Deshaun Watson, who is that team and what do they give up? Man, when I look at all the teams around the league that would that can make the move, there's two or three that I really think could make this move in a heartbeat for him. I think that you could look at Miami, and the Jets. Why is because I think when you look at Miami, I think you can give up Tua, you can give up a pick, you can give up that third overall pick back, and if you have to give up another pick for for Deshaun, which I know, you know, Houston's asking for three first round picks, which is just, and you know, depending on how you look at it, you know, depending on where you are as a franchise, it may be good or it may be bad. But for Miami's situation, if they had to give up a, a first round pick, another one, and Tua, it may be beneficial for them because. That's an upgrade at quarterback. And the same can be saying for the Jets. They can give up the number two pick and Sam Darnold, give him to Houston, say, here's a guy that you guys can build around, and then here's a guy that we can build around as well. So, and Deshaun, again, massive upgrade for wherever he goes. And I think Houston and, or not sorry, I think the Jets and Miami, honestly, those two teams I think really could and should be potential trade partners for the Houston Texans. The best landing spot for Sam Darnold is where? Oh, okay, well, I don't want to say this because I don't really want Sam Darnold on the Colts, but 
I just, I think he would, I personally, I think the Jets should stay with him. Like, unless you have the opportunity to get Watson, then go get him. But if you are really just like looking into drafting him, uh, drafting another quarterback with that second overall pick, I think it's just, I don't know. I mean, you better get a lot for Sam Darnold, but I think, I really think the Colts would be a good spot for him. I think Frank Wright would do a good job with Sam Darnold. I think his contract situation is what Chris Ballard is looking for. And I know with Chris Ballard, he would not have to give up so much for Sam Darnold. There are reports that uh, Indianapolis offered two second-round picks for Carson Wentz for Philly, and Philly turned it down. Like They want a first-round pick. Like He's not worth a first-round pick at this point. Um, and I think Sam Darnold could be very good for Colts, where I don't know if it put them to the same exact level as where they were with Philip Rivers at quarterback, but they at least know they have someone that has NFL experience as a starter, and he's not going to cost them that much to get. Last but not last but not least, does Carson Wentz land in Chicago? Is that a done deal? See, then that's the thing. I actually don't know. The reports were like last week where, yeah, uh, it's going to be Nick Foles, a pick, and somebody else on offense for Carson Wentz, which I had never, never happened. Like the trade that was talked about that was going to happen never happened with Carson Wentz this past week. So, no, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's the best thing I can say is no, because I don't. Like, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, you have to lower your standards for a guy that you are trying to get rid of. This is the thing. If you want Carson Wentz as your quarterback, then just stop the talk. Then that's it. Like, if you are trying to get rid of him, then you have to take what you can get. Because mm-hmm. you are trying to dump his contract, and you are trying to make sure that you get something in return. But if you're trying to get a first-round pick for a guy that was benched, like was leading the league in turnovers at one point. I'm pretty sure he still did. I could be wrong, but was leading the league in turnovers and was struggling. Yeah, I don't think you have much leverage at this point for the Eagles. So to go to the Bears, you know, if I'm the Bears, I mean, if you depends on what you can get for him. But if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles, you got to take what you can get because how I look at it is like. If I'm the team that's trading for Wentz, like, dude, I'm doing you a favor. Right. Like, you are trying to trade him. I'm not like you're doing this because you don't want him. I'm trying to help you out. Take what I give you. And if they say no, we don't. We want a first. Screw it. Like I'm not going to give right. you a first. Right. He's right. Right. In my opinion, he's not worth the first round pick. He's not worth the first round pick. I mean, he has a Super Bowl ring, yes, but he didn't. He didn't win it. Nick Foles did. So his value, mm-hmm. I believe, went down after that point. He's supposed to be, and I repeat the words, supposed to be the quarterback of the future. He was on his way of taking the Eagles to the Super Bowl, but then he gets injured, Nick Foles steps in, and since that time, since Nick Foles took the team to and through a Super Bowl win, it's been Nick, it's been Nick Foles that's had value, not Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz's value has gone down. The value thing I will say for Nick Foles is this, and I actually wrote an article about it before. Nick Foles, personally, if you look at the stats, he had his value outside of Philadelphia is not good. Right. When he's with Philadelphia, he's very good, and it's just weird. Like he, 
I get the offense. I get Frank Wright when he was there, Doug Peterson, all that stuff. I get that. And then before with Chip Kelly, he was he had success. But outside of Philly, he just like he just was bad. Like no. Kansas, like he didn't do much for Kansas City, nope. for the Rams, for Jacksonville, for Chicago. Just not this just not that good. So yeah, I mean, honestly, the value of Nick Foles in Philadelphia is definitely high. And so I, I agree with that, but outside of Philly, he just doesn't have the highest value. Right, he really doesn't. He really doesn't. That's my Monday morning QB, Ryan Dunn, joining me. Check him out on Twitter, at One Dunn Radio, and listen every Tuesday and Thursday for a One and Done Radio. Pick it up wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. I really appreciate it. Nope. No problem, Snowman. Thank you for having me. He's right. Nick Foles' value outside of Philadelphia hasn't been good. Inside of Philadelphia is great, but now with a new coach and a new system, you don't know what his value is going to be, if he has any value at all, or if the Eagles value him at all. You never know what's going to happen. Back after this. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair, now with three locations across the triad in High Point, Greensboro, and our new location in Kernersville. Beamer Tire and Auto offers full-service auto repair, all tire brands, free alignment checks, oil changes, and more. In Kernersville, check out the no-appointment-needed Quick Lube Shop. Check out their thousands of five-star ratings via Google and Yelp. They care because they know that you can go anywhere. So try a shop with a beating heart, not a bottom line. Beamer Tire and Auto Repair. Visit us on Facebook or at BeamerTire.com. I made a promise that I would have this man on. I made a promise I would have this man on more often. And here he is with me this morning, my partner in crime and radio, David Glenn. Dave, how are you, my man? Great to talk to you again. I'm doing really well, Snowman. Great to be with you, as always. Great to be with you as well. Talk to me about your feelings with the ACC in men's basketball. That's going for you. Are you seeing any surprises? It's a weird year. I'll put it this way. The last time the Atlantic Coast Conference did not have a one seed or a two seed in the NCAA tournament, was 1990 or 31 years ago Mm -hmm. and right now even though uva and florida state are pretty good teams neither projects as a one seed or a two seed so the league is down of course but it's still in a position to get six or seven or eight teams into the ncaa tournament the weirdest thing as you know is that duke is far away from even being in that march madness conversation and that hasn't happened since about 1995 and we're just not used to seeing that from Mike Krzyzewski and the Blue Devils. Certainly not used to seeing that from uh, uh, Mike Krzyzewski and company. What's What's been the downfall for Duke this year? Well, I think one reminder is that great college basketball teams do not start with a Hall of Fame coach. Great college basketball teams start with all-America caliber talent, meaning guys who are capable of dominating, not someday, but right now at the college level. And whereas in past years, Duke's freshmen have included, you know, Vernon Carey Jr. a year ago. He was first team all ACC. 
Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett as freshmen were both first-team All-ACC the year before that. Marvin Bagley the year before that. Jason Tatum the year before that. Brandon Ingram the year before that. Mm-hmm. Joel Okafor and those guys the year before that. This year, the freshmen are interesting and they're talented, but Jalen Johnson is not an All-ACC player yet, and neither is D.J. Stewart, and neither is Jeremy Rhodes. They might be great college players at some point. They are really good on occasional nights. But this is the rare year where the amazing five-star prep American prep All-Americans were just not of that extra high-level caliber that Mike Krzyzewski and schools like Kentucky have been often riding all the way to conference championships and occasionally to a national championship. It's been so weird. It's been so weird that uh, Duke has been off to this kind of start and that Duke has had to struggle this much. Like you said, the last time we've seen Duke struggle this much was 1995. But even then, they they competed. With Duke this year, and I know you've seen this on a couple of, of occasions, it doesn't look like they want to compete at all. It just seems like they just want to just roll the ball out there try to do it off of their talent, and then when they meet an opponent that can play some defense with them, they curl up in a ball. Am I reading this incorrectly? No, not necessarily, and it's varied a lot from night to night, and that happens a lot with young players. I think a big part of it is when you hit adversity, you tend to lean on upperclassmen. And as strange as this might sound, Duke had only four players returning on scholarship this year. Four. And two of them were sophomores. So Matthew Hurt and uh, Wendell Moore Jr. You know, were just getting into year two under Mike Krzyzewski. So you have only two true scholarship upperclassmen, and they're both role players in Jordan Goldwire and Joey Baker. So when you're in the midst of COVID, and these guys have been living at the Washington Duke Inn, no contact with their family, limited contact with their friends, they've been in a semi-bubble, and adversity hits, and you're mostly consisting of freshmen, and there is no high-caliber junior or senior to kind of steer the ship back in the right direction. They're also playing horrible defense. That would be more of the personnel answer to what's going on. But yes, effort and intensity and focus have also been issues. That's not uncommon with young players, but the makeup of this Duke team allowed a bad problem to, on some nights, get even worse. David Glenn joining me here via the Beamer Tire and Auto Hotline here on Snowman in the Morning. Let's let's turn our attention to the Tar Heels. It seems like even though they they dropped they they dropped one at Virginia, they're playing a top tier team. In Virginia, but to me, it seems like North Carolina has gotten their act together. Carolina's moving in the right direction. I agree with you there. And the Tar Heels, if today were Selection Sunday, would be in the field of 68. The biggest improvement to me has been the evolution of their freshman point guard, Caleb Love. Earlier this year, and he was a top 25 high school senior, He was playing horrible basketball. He was leading the ACC in turnovers. He was shooting less than 30% from three-point land, yet that didn't stop him from leading the team in shots. And that was a nightmarish combination as the Tar Heels struggled. 
He's still not great on a consistent basis, but he was great in that win over arch-rival Duke. He's been a much-improved version of himself in recent weeks, and that's taken the Tar Heels from outside that NCAA cut line to inside that cut line. But they're not comfortably there yet, and Snowman, when you watch him play, you can see this. Carolina is actually better on defense Mm -hmm. than they usually are under Roy Williams. Mm -hmm. But when the Tar Heels have the ball, there are not nearly as many good shooters from three-point land as the Heels usually have. Kerwin Walton is the only guy who's been hitting them consistently, the freshman. Uh, they turn the ball over a lot still. Uh, they're poor free-throw shooting team, so they're good on defense. They're an outstanding rebounding team, but they need to become much more clean and efficient offensively if they're going to build on that surge that you mentioned. Yeah, they're they're playing they're they're playing good, but the defense needs to turn it up. They as as the late great Jim Durham would say a lot. They need to turn the screws defensively, especially as we head toward March and as we head toward Greensboro to North Carolina State. They were considered one of the dark horses in the ACC, and now it just seems like they've fallen off a cliff. Yeah, losing the best player can cause that, or at least contribute to it. They were struggling a little bit before Devin Daniels went down to his season-ending knee injury. But there's not a team in this league this year that would not dramatically feel the impact of losing their leading scorer and their best player, uh, a veteran like Devin Daniels. So that hurt Kevin Keats' club a lot. Beyond that, they're playing flat-out bad defense. NC State along with Boston College, they're probably the two worst defensive teams in this league, at least in conference play. And part of that is, you know, whenever they use someone other than Manny Bates, who's a great shot blocker uh, down in the post, they're very vulnerable to opponents attacking the rim and getting high percentage shots. So uh, Kevin Keats is in year four. Remember, the only time he made the NCAA tournament was in year one with the Wolfpack. Uh, There was no tournament last year, obviously, but they they were headed to the NIT anyway. So he's signed through 2024, three seasons after this one. But you can be sure a lot of folks in in Wolfpack Nation, because of some higher expectations back in the preseason, uh, they don't like this three-year trend under Kevin Keats since uh, they enjoyed that March Madness trip back in his first year after leaving UNC Wilmington. Now, if there are a couple of wild cards in the ACC, we know who's at we know who's at the top. That is Virginia. Uh, North Carolina's trending the the right way. They're on that cut of being in the field of sixty eight, as you mentioned, still with the ACC tournament to go. If there are a couple of wild cards in the ACC that could surprise some people and make a deep run in Greensboro, who are those teams and why? Well, Florida State is ranked in the national top 25, so they might not qualify as a wild card the way you put that question to me. So outside UVA and FSU, given that they are ranked, I think Louisville and Virginia Tech are quality basketball teams. The Hokies have found a post player. Keve Aluma is going to be an all-ACC guy for them. He actually followed their coach, Mike Young. They were at Wofford together. And he sat out last year, and and now he's exactly what the Hokies needed in the post. So Mike Young already had a bunch of good guards. Now he has a great forward to go with him. 
So the Hokies uh, have been a really good team. Louisville uh, has a major college transfer of its own in Carly Jones. He was the Big South Player of the Year at Radford a year ago. And some wondered, well, is the best player in the Big South good enough to be great in the ACC? Answer, yes. Carly Jones is an All-American or an All-ACC caliber guard for the Louisville Cardinals, who are playing great defense for Chris Mack. And then even though they're not projected in the NCAA tournament right now, I still think Syracuse has something left in them to make a run at first at getting a bid to March Madness, but then maybe even doing some damage there because Quincy Garrier is one of the breakout players in this league. They have uh, returning guards in Joe Girard and Buddy Beheim. Alan Griffin from Illinois is another major college transfer who's really made a good first impression in an orange uniform. So I'm not sleeping on Syracuse. They're on the wrong side of the bubble right now, but I think that Hall of Fame coach, Jim Beheim. Uh, whose team is getting a little healthy right now, they have a chance to be one of those wild cards you're asking about. As we head toward March and head toward the ACC tournament, you mentioned Syracuse. They were one of the wild cards I was thinking about. How far, how far will they have to go in the ACC tournament to seal a field of 68 bid? It's hard to know right now. I would say they're among the half a dozen teams that would be considered you know, first six out if you were doing your bracketology right now. But what they need to do in Greensboro will be determined in part by what they do with their bigger games here in the regular season. So they still have a trip to Louisville this Wednesday. Uh, They have a trip to uh, Georgia Tech in late February. They do play both Duke and North Carolina as well. So how do they do in these final five regular season games That'll go a long way toward answering what they need to do in Greensboro. And you know the bottom line is that in any given year, if you're not sure you're on the right side of the cut line on Selection Sunday, you're always thinking, well, let's just win this darn thing and grab the automatic game. Right. We already know Boston College and Miami and Wake Forest and NC State and Notre Dame and and others are going to head to Greensboro needing to win the whole thing to get there Mm -hmm. to the bigger bracket. Uh, we'll see. Maybe the Orange is also one of these teams, but maybe the Orange put together two or three big wins between here and Greensboro. Uh, That would take a lot of the pressure off of Jim Beheim and his guys uh, come tournament time. One of my partners in crime and radio, David Glenn, joining me talking all things ACC basketball here on Snowman in the Morning. Hey, you know someone that would be a great guest? Drop an email to officialsitmorn at gmail.com. New email address, getting everything together, folks. Dave, always a pleasure to have you on, my friend. Great to be with you, Snowman. Take care. Call anytime. I wouldn't sleep on Syracuse either. I really wouldn't sleep on Syracuse. They could be, they could be the ultimate wild card. And you figure three wins in the ACC tournament where you would need uh, six to win it all. You figure three wins and they could get on, get into the field of 68. We'll have to see what happens back after this. Let's wrap things up with the sports buffet, shall we? And Desmond Johnson is awake, and he's on the move. 
And he joins me right now via the Beamer Tire and Auto Hotline. Good morning, DJ. Good morning, man. How's it going, Snowman? Everything doing all right in your world? Everything is great, man. Everything is great. How's it with you? Good. Everything's going really well. Uh, Tobacco Road Sports Radio is growing every day. Uh, Thanks to fine gentlemen like yourself. And uh, couldn't be happier with it. Man, much uh, appreciated. Much, much, much appreciated. Tobacco Road Sports Radio, one of our flagships that carries Snowman in the morning. Always a pleasure to be on. Let's get into this. What the hell are the Houston Texans doing? Please answer that for me. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think I, I assume they think that they can convince Deshaun Watson to stay, but <laughs> it's starting. It's starting to look like one of those situations where it's almost like the the, the girlfriend caught the boyfriend cheating on them, <laughs> like in the act like in their bed and the boyfriend seems to think that they can still convince the girl to stay with him. Uh, one side's already made up their mind. Like it's not going to change. Yep. Uh, and right now I think Houston's hurting themselves because they need to do something before the draft. If they don't do anything until after the draft, they're going to get back far less than if they did it beforehand. So I'd imagine one of two things is going to happen in the next week or two. Either Houston's going to fold and say that he's on the trading block or they're going to stand pat and try to call Deshaun Watson's bluff, although I don't, he doesn't strike me as a type of bluff. Uh, you know, he's threatened to sit out the season, and I think they think he won't do it at age 25 in his prime peak years. But Deshaun Watson's a man of faith, dude. I, if he's yeah. saying he's going to do it, then I, I would take then, him at his word. Then he do. So, He'll do we'll it. See. He'll yeah. do it. I really, I really believe that. And you were on a few weeks ago, and you said, and I now agree with, that the Panthers should go all in and get him, make a trade that's over the top, and that should include one Christian McCaffrey. Reprise that conversation, will you please? Um, well, at the time, I'm thinking, you know, running backs, typically an average, like, top elite running back in the NFL has a, a shelf life of elite level for about three years, three mm-hmm. or four years at the top. And that's even the greats. Go back and look at, you know, Emmett Smith, Eric Dickerson, uh, Walter Payton and Barry Sanders are abnormal. So yep. those don't really fit the equation. But typically, an elite running back is there for about three or four years. Chris McCaffrey's in his elite area now. And it probably will be for the duration of the contract extension he signed. The four-year extension is the highest for a running back ever. Right. Um, if Houston asked for him, I would say sure. Let's throw him in there. But I would try to do something without him. Uh, I would try to keep McCaffrey. Of course, you know, put Bridgewater in there. Um, you've got guys like Shaq Thompson that just signed a new deal. You've got the money to make it work going both ways. Um, I would do something like that, like a Teddy Bridgewater, Shaq Thompson, because it's been rumored the Texans if they did do a trade that they'd be looking for at least two defensive starters. Right. Uh, and Shaq Thompson would fit that bill. I'd see if they would if they would sniff around Kawan Short. Um, he's got an expiring deal coming up himself, which could help him salary cap wise after this upcoming season. Uh, and draft picks, you know, throw the eighth in there uh, and some future ones. Because if you get Deshaun Watson, your first your first round picks are going to be in the late twenties. Right, so you're basically trading away second round picks, not top ten picks uh, with him as the quarterback. You want to keep as much of your skill players on offense as you can because you're probably going to lose Curtis Samuel. Yeah, uh, this off season. But if you can keep a core of DJ Moore. Uh, Robbie Anderson, Christian McCaffrey, 
uh, get a tight end in the draft, fix this O-line, and secure that QB spot for the next four or five years, the Panthers can you know, really be something special. But, again, it goes back to the Texans and what the hell they're doing, as you said a couple minutes ago. No one really knows, so we're not really <laughs> sure exactly – where this is going to end up, but I'd expect the Panthers to be pretty aggressive about it. And now the biggest face of the franchise, J.J. Watt, has been cut. But we're talking about a big difference. Uh, Deshaun Watson's 25, like you said, and J.J. Watt's a 10-year veteran. Where are some good landing spots for him? Uh, well, I know he's already spoke to his brother, uh, T.J., and they want to play together. T.J.'s in Pittsburgh, so that would be a good fit for uh, for J.J., um, I personally think Green Bay could use him. He, he's a Wisconsin native, went to the University of Wisconsin. If they put him in as a, uh, you know, as a stand-up linebacker in the 3-4, I think he could sell for another two or three years. He's a you know, three-time league defensive player of the year. Yep. Probably still got some juice in him. He's had some injuries the past couple of years that have you know caused him to miss time on the field. And his situation is different than Deshaun. Deshaun's situation, he's in his prime right now. He's the face of the franchise. Right. J.J. was the face of the franchise. And through injuries and everything else, he's no longer a you know a top ten league player. Right. Um, so mutual mutual respect between Watt and the ownership for Houston to let him go, so he could figure out where he wanted to go on his own, as opposed to trying to trade him or something like that. So uh, right now, I would say uh, either Pittsburgh or Green Bay. Well, let me throw a wild card team in there, and it's in the it's in the AFC. And I know how you feel about trades happening within the division, but. How about the Indianapolis Colts? Would he fit there? Uh, I mean, he, he would. Indy's, Indy actually is pretty nice in terms of their roster. They're really just a quarter, a really good young quarterback away from contending the next three or four years. Right. Um, which is why I expect them to make some moves to, uh, to either bring in one of these quarterbacks on the QB carousel or to move up into the top ten of the draft to draft a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, he would, yeah, he would be okay there. Uh, I just think that he would probably, at this point in his career, either want to play with his family or actually play in his home state. Yeah, yeah. It's not a it's not a Philip Rivers type of situation, but I totally agree with um, what you're saying. Pittsburgh or Green Bay would be the two top prime choices. Uh, y'all heard Ryan Dunn last segment talk about uh, Indianapolis being a good choice, the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs, but I'm thinking – Watts thinking family, family. So he he just may wind up. In, if that is the case, does Ben come back for another season? I think Ben's coming back either way. Um, the way they've been talking, I know he's got a hard, a hard, large cap hit for next year, but he's already he's already put out there. He's willing to, uh, you know, move money around or take less or whatever it might be. And that was really the only other hangup for them to to, to have this go again. Um, I think they were the I think they were the victims of their own success last year. They played yeah. an easy schedule for the most part, the first ten or twelve games. Uh, when they got into the meat of it in November and December, kind of saw where they were. They still have some holes, but they're far from being you know mediocre or average. You know, Ben can put together one more quality season. I'd put Pittsburgh up there as a contender in the AFC. Yeah, I would too. I would too. If Roethlisberger coming back for season eighteen, I believe. Uh, out of the university, uh, out of Miami University of Ohio, switched to basketball, and there was a young man that appeared on my program well before the draft and said the Hornets need Lamelo Ball. He made it clear, he made it a campaign on my program, and of course, y'all know I'm speaking to him. He said Lamelo Ball will be a difference maker for the Hornets. You nailed that one, my friend. 
Well, I appreciate you calling me young, uh, for starters, so <laughs> thank you for that. Uh, I mean, it, it, it just seemed like, I mean, it, I, just being a Hornets fan for over two decades, I, I was just so frustrated with um, them not being nationally relevant, except for a couple of times, you know, during the the, the length of the franchise. Right. Uh, and the last time it really, really was a, a deal – I told uh, Sam Dracula this. He was a guest on the Rundown on Friday. Mm-hmm. He hosts the Believe in Charlotte Hornets podcast with Muggsy Bogues, uh, and he has a uh, YouTube channel for Hornets. And we were talking about this, and I told him, uh, this year reminds me of the 1990-91 season for the Charlotte Hornets. Yes. Um, they had just received the number one overall pick in Larry Johnson. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were coming off the 20-plus win season. They, uh, they had talent on their roster that they drafted, um, like Rex Chapman, uh, J.R. Reed was on yep. that roster. He'd already been out of Carolina for a couple of years. Um, they had uh, Kendall Gill, uh, Muggsy Bogues came over in the expansion draft. So they had built a core, and Larry was the first cog that kind of made them sort of must-see TV. Yeah. But they were still like one player away. And that's kind of where I feel these Hornets are right now, where they're must-see TV. Uh, even Maggie Johnson said they're the most exciting, you know, team to watch the NBA right now. They play a fast-paced offense. LaMelo's been given the keys. Um, I do think they're probably a player away to kind of getting this together. And actually, Sam had a fantastic suggestion for it, which I don't know if they'd make this happen, but if they did, I would be super excited. And he said that he thinks the Hornets should go after Carl Anthony Towns from Minnesota. I believe it. Back together and trade for him. Yeah, Yeah, I I believe it. Carl Anthony Towns is 25. He's 25. He's just entering the peak. He's stuck in Minnesota. You put him with Lamelo Ball and Miles Bridges. That's hey, a scary combination. That's, that's a top three. That's a top three Eastern Conference playoff team. To be Easy. honest, uh, I don't think they'll do that because they've got. To be honest, they've got the future down in Orlando. You spoke to one of them uh, a week ago, and Vernon Carey. Vernon like, Carey. I, I don't think they're going to spend a lot of capital on a center. Uh, when they just drafted two of them, and they're just basically going to wait for them to grow up. I think, yeah. I think that's the plan. So, But the Hornets are pretty exciting, man, um, all the way through. They, they've got talent. You look up and down the roster. They Ever since Mitch Kupchak arrived in Charlotte, he's done fantastic in the draft. Mm-hmm. He's banged it out, especially mm-hmm. in the second round. Uh, the Martin twins, Nick Richards, Vernon Carey, like he's he's just done a fantastic job, and now we're starting to see the fruits of those labors come together. And there's still some labors to get, but like you said, one significant piece – the Hornets are away, you know, from being a top three in in the Eastern Conference. When I had Vernon Carey on the show, um, he talked about how excited he was in playing this kind of basketball. This kind of basketball has been missing not just in Charlotte, but overall in the NBA for a long time. Yeah, I would agree with that. It actually has some elements of um, – Golden State a little bit. There's a little bit of Golden State, a little bit of San Antonio in there, which yep. makes sense James Borrego is the head coach. Um, it's it's a it's a motion offense. Um, it's not. It's kind of got elements of the triangle mm-hmm. and a little bit of the uh, a little bit of stuff that Pop probably put in there as well. Yep. Um, it's not exactly the triangle, but it's a it's a it's a free flowing motion offense where it's almost positionless. Yeah. Um, so that's how you can start three guards, you know, and two forwards or. Uh, go all big or, or whatever you want to do. Um, but, yeah, you can kind of see a little bit of resemblance around it where it's like it, you get the feeling that people don't care who's the leading scorer, uh, who who gets the most rebounds. They're just happy to win, and they're also young. Gordon Hayward's the oldest guy on this team. He's yep. the older statesman at age 30. So, I mean, 
they've got a ways to go, but if they can keep the core together and, you know, grow together, I think the Hornets can be something really special here over the next couple of years. Let's go to NASCAR now. And NASCAR has said they were looking for some fans and they're looking for the cool factor. I think Michael Jordan fits both of those. Your thoughts on him owning a NASCAR team coming into this season and what the expectations are for that team? I, you know, I would imagine low expectations. Uh, it's really hard to win a NASCAR race. And I don't think Bubba Wallace has ever won one at that, at that class, at that level. Um, I, I'm not sure. Um, but I, I do like what it means for the sport because, I, I, you know, I spoke to the guys from the pit stop also yeah. uh, Friday for a Daytona preview, and I told them, you know, honestly, I've never, even though I live dead center in the number one DMA for NASCAR in the entire country here in the triad, uh, and has been for like 20 plus years, Yeah, I've never felt, I've never really felt like they, they being NASCAR, were trying to bring me in. Like, I never really felt like that I was included or wanted to be, or they wanted me to be included Understood. in their clubhouse, so to speak. Uh, first time I've ever really felt that they maybe they, they're interested in bringing me on as a fan was last year uh, by banning the Confederate flag at all the racetracks. Right. Um, at that point, it's like, okay, they're trying to move forward. They see that they can't stay stuck in, you know, the 70s and the 60s and the 50s where they could be self-contained right. and go up to North Wilkesboro or go to Martinsville or whatever it might be. They try to expand nationally without expanding their train of thought and consciousness themselves about nationally. Like, they still marketed themselves as a southern product yeah. at racetracks in California and Texas and Michigan. And it just, I think that's part of the reason why they started seeing a decline. It's going to take a little bit of time, but, you know, we, I, we've had on Tobacco Radio, you know, Quinn Hoff and Brennan Poole and yep. uh, some of the younger drivers. I think they're going to be the ones, Ty Dillon, they're going to be the ones that kind of usher in the new phase for NASCAR. Um, and honestly, they should take a page out of the NBA. The NBA does the greatest job with letting their stars be themselves on social media. They're basically their own billboards, um, good or bad. You know, Kevin Durant gets bad publicity for burner accounts, but that's still good publicity for the NBA because people is. are talking about NBA players. Yeah. You know, so that, that kind of mentality, I would try to do as NASCAR, get these drivers more interactive on Twitter, uh, Instagram, uh, you know, TikTok, like all these things that people already have access to, they can push the sport themselves. The sport itself can't push itself much further True. than the drivers can, and their media outlets can, their social media uh, departments can, because I deal with all of them, so they all have one. Um, and I think that'll be what it takes for NASCAR to turn the corner and become really a top-four sport again uh, in the country. That is the Sports Buffet with the one and only Desmond Johnson joining me here on this Monday program. Follow him at Des underscore 3505. And for all of you listening via Tobacco Road Sports Radio, thank you. Check it out. TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, where high school football is coming in two weeks' time. We'll keep you updated on everything that is going on. Always a pleasure, my man. Say hi to the wife and family for me. Will do. Talk to you soon, bro. Talk to you soon, brother. That's going to do it for this edition of Snowman in the Morning. Thank you to my guest, uh, Ryan Dunn from uh, One and Done Radio, Desmond Johnson, the man in charge of Tobacco Road Sports Radio, as well as The Rundown. And also, uh, thank you to David Glenn, one of my good buddies in radio that helped put this, helped put this uh, together. 
I can't thank you all enough. Tune in tomorrow. Got some good stuff for you, including Jay Spivey will join me on the program. Till tomorrow, have a great day. God bless. Remember to make your next move your best move. And always remember, if your dreams don't scare you, then they are not big enough. Dream big, do bigger. I am and I hope you all are too. Thank you to all the stations and outlets that air this show. Till tomorrow, I am the heck out of here. I got to get out of here. Got to get warm sometime soon. Thanks, y'all. I'm out. See you tomorrow.